So my name is Amy Nesbitt. I'm a partner in Waitman Specialty Team, and I'm joined today by my colleague and associate, Basu Terry, for a quick whistle-stop tour of some of the developments and highlights of this year, which are of importance to anyone working in the specialty insurance sector. So 2022 has been a year of several important decisions for insurers, which together with the disruption to the financial markets and lasting damage caused by the political mayhem means there's much to talk about. Absolutely. Um, thanks, everybody. Um, I'm Basira Terry. I am a, an associate in our specialty litigation team. Um, I work with Amy Nesbitt. Um, as Amy's already said, uh, 2022 has certainly been an eventful year. Um, in some ways, it has seen a perfect storm of events that has left us ending the year probably with a degree of uncertainty and perhaps slight trepidation as to what the new year holds. Um, early on in the year, year, we witnessed extreme weather in the UK, the likes of which we have rarely ever seen. At the start of the year, we witnessed uh, three named storms in the space of a week, storms Dudley, Eunice and Franklin. Um, I'm not sure where they get the names from, but um, they are quite interesting names. So these cause havoc to large sections of the UK, resulting in millions being without power and countless homes destroyed. Conversely, this summer was the fourth hottest summer for daily average temperature. Since the Met Office started collecting data, I'm sure few will forget the day when temperatures topped 40 degrees. Even within the last few weeks, we have seen large parts of the country covered in snow. So to many, there's little doubt that climate change is the cause of these extremes of weather. If this is any indication of what we are likely to see in the years to come, then there's potentially reasons to be concerned. And though the ABI estimated that the cleanup from Storm Eunice alone cost more than 300 million pounds, the reality is, is, is that um, insurers who are largely responsible for picking up this large bill, whether it is paying out for damage to property or lost contents caused to businesses and homeowners. Um, the managing director of Squeaky, a renewable energy marketplace, believes that the economic losses attributable to, to climate change related activities are on track to become the biggest risk in the global insurance industry. The Central Bank of France found that premiums could rise by as much as 200% over the next 30 years due to the five-fold rise in claims related, relating to natural disasters. So clearly the increased incidence, magnitude and severity of natural, natural disasters leads to greater exposure for insurers, which in turn means more expensive premiums for policyholders. If it, it could even lead insurers to restrict the availability of cover for climate change risk. This is a worrying situation. However, the challenge for the industry will be predicting for future climate change events and ensuring that policy wording is clear and specific. Since even our wildest imaginations may not go far enough in predicting the future impact of climate change, this will be a real challenge for the industry and we can expect some innovation here. Running alongside this, we had the specter of COVID-19 that has been a feature of our lives for the past three years. As one of the most significant pandemics that the UK and the world has ever seen, COVID saw many companies turn to their insurers to recover their losses from government enforced closures. Whilst many made claims under business interruption insurance policies, insurers maintained that their policies weren't intended to cover unprecedented BI caused by government measures to control a pandemic. The 2021 judgment in FCA versus Arch Insurance found that cover may be available for partial closures of premises and for mandatory closure orders that were not legally binding. 
as of October 2022. Claims data shows that a massive 1.5 billion pounds has been paid out by insurers to over 36,000 small businesses as a direct result of this case. With many cases still in the pipeline and yet to be decided perhaps for years to come, it is hard to guess what the total figure will be, but a figure over two billion pounds is at best a conservative estimate. With sums like this, it stands to reason that insurers will be very, very reluctant to provide unspecified and generic BI cover in the future, with insurers more likely wishing to ensure policy wording is watertight and removing any potential coverage for pandemic risk. Finally, and I use this word cautiously, we have the dark clouds of a recession over our heads. According to the Chancellor and the Office for Budget Responsibility, UK is now in recession with Britain's output shrinking 0.2% in the three months of September. Meanwhile, inflation is at a level unseen for over 41 years. All this, which potentially is linked to the massive government assistance provided during the pandemic, has been exacerbated by the war in Ukraine. So against this rather gloomy backdrop of events, the insurance market has received court judgments that in some way a result of or will be connected to the events already mentioned. These judgments will have significance for years to come. Um, these cases are Spire, Spire Health Limited versus Royal Sun Alliance, dealing with the correct approach to aggregation, Rashid versus Direct Savings Limited, dealing with third parties' rights against Insurers Act 2010 and limitation. Then we had the trio of business interruption cases, namely Stonegate Pub um, versus MS Hamlin and others, various eateries trading versus Alliance Insurance and Greg's PLC versus Zurich, Zurich Insurance. Now, those three final cases that you mentioned, Baz, they've all been treated in the same sort of respect, haven't they, by the industry? And in fact, I think that there's an outstanding, well, permission, we don't know whether the application will be made, but permission's been granted for the insurers involved in those cases to make an application um, to appeal certain sections of the judgment. So in some respect, there is definitely some commonality there in respect of those cases. And I think if we look at the um, commentary surrounding those decisions, that's very much how they've been treated in the industry. So do, can we just focus on those for, for today's discussion? Because there's a lot in there. And I think um, what we may have to do a follow-up session concerning those other cases, but let's have a look for today's purposes at business interruption. Absolutely. So what can you tell me about those three? Absolutely. Well, the key issues in common to all three cases were what is trigger for the relevant insuring clauses of the policy? Did the BI loss arise from one or more single occurrences for the purposes of aggregation as one or more single business interruption loss? Were the claim losses proximately caused by covered events which occurred during the relevant periods of insurance? Are any payments received under the coronavirus job retention scheme and or is, is any business rate relief received to be taken into account when calculating any sums recoverable under the policy? Was the additional increased cost of working sublimit and aggregate limits or applicable, applicable to each single business interruption loss? And does additional increased cost of working cover apply to economic increased cost of working or only to uneconomic uh, increased cost of working? So as Baz mentioned, um, you know, in Stonegate, there were a number of important issues which were decided by the court. Um, in fact, in all three cases, on the basis of a trial of preliminary issues, there were matters not resolved by the FCA test case and which have wider significance to the market. Um, and as 
as you've alluded to already, there were four important takeaways, basically aligned to those issues that you've identified in that short intro. So the court decided that if a third party has made a payment which has eliminated or reduced the loss to which the insured um, has insurance against, then subject to a number of exceptions, insurers are entitled to the benefit of that payment either in reducing any payment that they might have to make under the policy, or if they've already paid it, claiming the amount from the insured, um, in respect of which uh, the insured has received that payment, save where it can be established that the third party who made the payment intended it only to benefit the insured to the exclusion of insurers. And the court looked at what you might need um, to factor in in order to decide whether or not that payment was made with the intention of, uh, of excluding insurers. Um, and essentially, uh, the court found that in, in, on the facts of this case, the government, of course, was aware that there were a number of potential claims against insurers for business interruption insurance. Yet notwithstanding that, um, the furlough scheme was still um, implemented without any statement for example, that it was for, to the exclusion of insurers. Mm -hmm. And so taking that in the round, the court decided that in fact, this was not a payment made by the government, which was intended to benefit the insured to the exclusion of insurers. And therefore it was one that ought to properly be taken into account when it came um, to deductions. Uh, the second issue uh, that the court determined was in respect of aggregation. And essentially, the court found that the government mandated closures at the start of the first lockdown in March 2020 amounted to a single occurrence under the policy. Um, I think in order to give this a bit of context, it's important to look back at the history. Um, our, our listeners will recall that the first case of COVID-19 was detected in China back on the 31st of December 2019. And then we had the first cases of COVID-19 um, in the UK at, towards the end of January 2020. Then came the 5th of March 2020, that was where COVID-19 was added to the list of notifiable diseases in the UK under the health protection regulations. Um, and the virus causing COVID-19 was also added at the same time to the list of notifiable causative agents. This meant that local authorities were required to be notified of any cases. And on the 12th of March, um, the World Health Organization classified COVID-19 outbreaks as a pandemic, urging governments to implement containment strategies. The virus continued to spread um, and it led to the introduction of various restrictions, um, some of which were mandatory and some of which were advisory. So on the 16th of March, the government advised but didn't demand that public stay away from pubs, uh, restaurants and the like. Um, on the 20th of March, that uh, advisory uh, remark was then made uh, mandatory and in fact government announced the closure of cafes, pubs and restaurants, except for takeaway facilities, um, all the nightclubs, theatres, cinemas, gyms, etc. They were all closed. Um, and on the 23rd of March, we then had closure of schools, um, safe for children of key personnel, and the lockdown was introduced with people only able to leave their homes to shop for basic necessities. Um, seems like a bit of a distant memory now, but there we go. Um, the court found in the Stonegate case that the loss suffered by Stonegate across all of its UK locations during the first lockdown um, from March 2020 was to be treated as a single business interruption loss. And it found that there was a single cause, single occurrence, and that was the government mandated instruction given on the 20th of March. Therefore, all of the losses that Stonegate suffered across its various premises were capped at 2.5 million. Now that's a massive decision, given that the claim itself 
um, was worth, as I understand it, in excess of a billion pounds. Um, the court then went on to find that there was a further single occurrence on the 16th of March, um, and potentially this is a, a controversial element of the judgment, um, which was in fact the date, you'll recall, that the government advised the public to stay away from pubs and cafes. And the court commented that this could also provide the basis for aggregating uh, these losses. Thirdly, we had a decision concerning causation. So the court found that Stonegate had only established proximate causation up to the end of the first lockdown and the reopening of venues. And this happened in July 2020. The court found that there was no basis for the recovery of business interruption losses caused by government action beyond the first reopenings in July 2020, as the government was then reacting to more recent cases and the threat of future cases, almost it was distinct from that very first occurrence. And then finally, the fourth, the fourth issue that the court decided was in respect to the additional increased costs of working. Uh, and the court found that that covered only on an uneconomic expenditure and could not be used to supplement the increased costs of working cover in respect of economic expenditure, i.e. it couldn't be used to supplement the increased costs of working um, limits where they were inadequate. So as I said, practical results of all of this is that the claim in Stonegate, which was um, nearly 1.1 billion, I believe, had reduced to, um, at a maximum, 2.5 million, which is a, a massive victory on the face of it for insurers. However, as I mentioned at the very outset, there has been permission granted for the insurers in this case, along with the insurers in Greg's and Alliance to make applications to appeal certain parts of the judgment. And um, as I understand it, that permission was um, granted that towards the end of last month. And so um, it's very much uh, fresh news and, and we, we essentially need to watch this space. Yeah, as you said, Amy, the, um, there are um, challenges that we are um, gonna face. And as you rightly say, we have to watch this space. Um, there are likely to be developments um, in the coming years, um, and I, I suspect that these are not going to be the last judgments that we hear on, on these points. Um, and as we've already seen, um, there are there is strong evidence that the premiums will increase significantly across all levels of the insurance market. Um, if I take my own recent experience of trying to renew my car insurance, um, the renewal price that I was quoted was double what I paid previously. Um, after shopping around, I managed to find car insurance, but that still was probably £500 that I paid more than I paid last year. Now, I could easily have downgraded my cover, but that would not have given me the protection that I actually needed. Mm -hmm. So if we apply this to our discussion piece, we could easily see a situation where policyholders um, either do not obtain the full cover that they require or a price that's simply out of the market. Um, if we take the example of a startup business that has just began just began operations before the pandemic, they have just survived the devastating impact of the pandemic to their operations through no fault of their own. They're now faced with insurance which could, which could be triple what they were paying before and which does not afford them the protection that they require. They are already concerned about the impact for, of future pandemics, yet the cost of premiums seemingly prevents them from protecting against this risk. They then had the added pressure of climate change, um, queries in regards to the recession are staring right, them right in the face. So I suspect what we're going to see is um, a large number of business, businesses going insolvent. Um, and clearly this is a risk that a lot of businesses are, are facing and potentially why the new year doesn't look as rosy to them as it might do to um, other sectors of, of, the, of businesses. Insolvent insureds means only one thing, doesn't it? A rise of... Uh claims under the 2010 Act. 
I'm sure that's not the only trend we're going to see, Baz, but it's an important one nonetheless, isn't it? Um, insurers will definitely be in the driving seat, we think, when it comes to certain certain claims, uh, particularly in the um, professional indemnity sector. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll probably touch on this in, a, in another discussion, but that then brings into fact uh, the, the case of Rashid versus Direct Savings, which deals directly with uh, third party rights against insurers. Act and limitation, mm-hmm. um, and you know, as a as a short um, introduction to that matter, we can actually say that um, what we'll probably see from from that 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 case is that um, a lot of insurers and um, businesses will be probably front loading their litigation to mm-hmm. make sure that they get their claims in on time. Uh, which means more work for the insurers in the sense that they will have to make sure that they get all do do, do all their investigations up front um, and they don't have as much time as they as they might have thought they did. So we, we are going to be seeing a, a, a change to the to the legal and insurance landscape over the next couple of years. Um, and that's that's simply due to the, the current climate that we, we we face and the perfect storm of events that we've seen. I mean, that's right, Baz, because without wanting to sort of jump in and stray off to a huge discussion about the impact of Rashid and maybe strategic considerations for insurers in that respect, um, what, of course, the court did say, uh, for the context and benefit of our listeners, is that it is the time limit which applied to the underlying action that is then the subject of the 2010 Act that is passed on to to insurers, um, which is applicable when it comes to limitation. So essentially, there's no stopping of the clock or pausing of the clock and claimants who are looking to make a, a recovery pursuant to the 2010 Act have a much, in theory, shorter time frame in which to get their house in order. So as you say, front-loading of costs is definitely going to be something that we that we see, I think, um, it, over the next year or so. Absolutely. Um, and clearly the risk facing um, businesses is that, as I've mentioned, that they're not fully covered um, should something happen. Um, but that doesn't stop the story there. Um, recession breeds litigation. Um, and where one avenue of protection is cut off, litigation does give um, others, businesses, uh, another route to obtaining protection of some sort. Um, if we go back and look at the recession in 2008, we saw a rise in claims and disputes relating to insolvencies, banking claims, property repossessions, et cetera. Um, according to City of London Police, fraud soared in the recession with a 64% increase in the number of reported frauds. So in times of recession, people inevitably become more willing to submit claims for compensation against professionals offering advice and services. So it would not be outside the realms of possibility that this current recession, predicted to the last several years, will be coupled with a rise in claims against solicitors, brokers, surveyors for, for the services that they actually provide. I mean, as we've seen before, Baz, of course, this it, almost it will be history repeating itself, won't it? We've got a whole string of those nationwide cases, uh, which all arose out of the 2006-2007 recession. Um, and are we going to be back in, in that territory? Absolutely. Um, if we look at brokers for the moment, the changing regulatory and legal landscape means that it's even more important that brokers ensure that they um, are giving the right advice. This is particularly true in long-standing relationship between brokers and insurers, where much of the discussion about the type of cover required is based on previous years or informal chats with little to no paper trail. In this situation, brokers are probably the first in line fire line for disgruntled policyholders who finally realize down the later on down the line that all the cost cutting that they did with regards to their premiums has left them with without the necessary cover that they actually mm-hmm. require. 
And we might see that in the future, because if it is a hard market, then as you say, with your car insurance example, one, ex one op option would have been for you to downgrade your cover. And when you've got these optional add-ons, are we then going to see a trend um, of businesses, you know, having to make those priority decisions and deciding not to accept those um, additional covers? Absolutely. And I think uh, an important factor that can't be overlooked is the need to make sure that um, policy wording is fully explained to insurers, sorry, insurers, sorry, um, and that care is taken over the form filling um, and making sure the insureds give the correct information. There is a tendency in times of recession for people to cut corners. So as you say, Baz, you know, there is the potential for um, there to be a bit of short-sightedness when it comes to insureds that are submitting their proposal forms, um, you know, might provide answers in the hope that they will be re return a more preferential offer in terms of um, the terms of insurance, but also lowering premiums. But as we know, that, that can come back to bite them. Um, we need to be mindful of this. You know, we're not saying that fraud is going to be on the rise, but it is this obvious um, potential consequence of any recession, and we've seen it before. Um, so fair presentation issues are, are likely, in my view, to be at the fore when it comes to any, um, any future claims. Um, that means that you know, everyone needs to be alive to that. Um, brokers, when advising their clients, in respect of what is asked of them in the proposal forms, need to take care to ensure that they're actually looking at the questions um, and uh, having that discussion with their client in terms of understanding their risk um, transfer options. But also, I think uh, you know there's a, there's a positive spin on all this, and um, brokers potentially have a you know a really large role to play when it comes to looking for um, any mitigating factors that can be put forward in proposals for the benefit of insureds and risk mitigation strategies are, are no doubt something that um, insurers will be looking for, particularly in this hard market. Um, so fair presentation, obviously going to be a big one, as we've discussed, um, where there is this evolving legal and regulatory landscape affecting, you know, all walks of professions, but, you know, just the world generally, it's, it's an obvious consequence that um, insurers are going to be looking at their proposal forms and varying them accordingly and it's just important that everyone involved in that process is really looking at what's being asked and ensuring that those discussions that are being taken place with the insured are um, fully informative and you know as far as they can be um, that investigation uh, is is undertaken um, so I mean that's just a general comment uh, We've obviously looked already at business interruption and the trio of cases that we've mentioned before. Um, and the obvious then question is, well, well how does that then have an impact on um, any potential subsequent claims it, it, against other professionals insofar as it transpires, as is the case in Stonegate, that when insured believes that they've got an indemnity in respect of, you know, billions, but in fact, it's reduced to a fraction of that sum, are they going to look to recover their losses from elsewhere? Um, absolutely. And um, it's no surprise that we're seeing a lot of um, COVID-19 exclusions being inserted into uh, policies, um, professional indemnity policies and dealing with business interruption. Um, it's it's uh, a logical conclusion and it's a logical step that insurers actually taking but the impact then is as where where do um, insureds seek to recover money from and who do they seek to blame because as we've already mentioned in times of recession people always look to try to blame somebody 
um, mm. for losses that they're unable to recover. And we've actually recently dealt with a, a similar case um, that deals with something like this, and there was a complaint to the FOS. Um, and for the benefit of our listeners, um, it's worth just going through it in, 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 a, in a, short, a short form. So during the COVID-19 pandemic, a business suffered a significant downturn in revenue and inquired with their broker as to whether the business interruption cover arranged by them would respond. Notification was made to the relevant insurer in accordance with the FCA's guidances in circulation at the time. However, the claim was rejected. So the business, naturally um, quite upset, um, alleged that the broker was negligent in failing to place or recommend non-damaged business interruption cover with an extension for disease. Having exhausted um, the broker's internal complaints procedure, the business referred the complaint to the FOS. The loss suffered was alleged to be in the region of hundreds of thousands of pounds. Now, this is just a microcosm of what potentially um, could happen in the future. So what the outcome was, well, you know, um, the, the broker's own professional indemnity policy contained an exclusion for claims directly or indirectly arising from COVID-19 losses. Mm-hmm. And so the broker did not benefit from insurance cover for the cost of defending this complaint. Nevertheless, with assistance from Biba and early intervention by us at Waitmans, um, a detailed and res- robust response to the complaint was prepared and submitted to the FOS, and the complaint against the broker was dismissed. The defence was mostly faceted, um, and together with the challenge um, concerning jurisdiction, comprised of some of the following key points. Um, the state of the industry knowledge at the time was such that the recommendation for non-damaged business interruption cover was an extension for disease um, was not indicated. The in- incidence and scale of the loss which for which COVID-19 is the cause and which has been suffered on a global scale was not a reasonable contemplation at its point of inception. Um, but there was no way that the broker could have predicted in March 2020, less still in March 2019, that the disease could would prevail for a long period of time. And then uh, less still being able to, had they been, had they made that prediction, been able to find and advise their client as to which policy would respond. Absolutely. Particularly against the backdrop of all the, dis- the decisions that we've discussed today and the fact that this is an evolving legal gap landscape. They didn't need a crystal ball, wouldn't they? Absolutely. And, you know, if, if you if you had that sight and sense of foresight, then arguably some of the, the, the judgments that we've seen already, maybe <laughs> would have had a different outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next point was the state of the law in general was such that it was not known before the Supreme Court's decision in the FCA's business interruption test case handed down in January 2020, um, which what was the sample wording? 21, I think. 21, 21 20, 21, you're correct. Which of the sample wordings considered by the court in that case would respond to COVID-19 losses? Even now, there is considerable uncertainty concerning the operation of and scope of cover available under policy wordings, mm-hmm. which were not the subject of the FCA's test case. Mm-hmm. As a result of this legal uncertainty, even if the possibility of COVID-19 losses on the scale and of the magnitude suffered globally could have been predicted, the broker would still have been unable to identify a policy which would respond to the business's losses. The placement of a responsive policy in these circumstances would have been very unlikely and would only have occurred by happenstance. So overall, even if the broker had been required to recommend cover for non-damaged business disruption with an extension for disease, first, the broker's renewal files indicated that the business was extremely price sensitive and not risk averse. 
Um, something that we've already mentioned when we're talking about the, the impact of the recession and the, all the perfect storm of events, how that will impact uh, businesses' decisions making and costs are cutting. So the instruction to inset the hypothetical policy would have been unlikely forthcoming. And second, an insurer would have been extremely unlikely to offer a non-damaged business interruption policy with an extension for disease at all or on favorable terms. So what we've seen in this, in this example of the case that we've, we've dealt with is another route avenue that um, a business has taken to try to recover money. Rather than going the litigation route, they've, they've taken the FOS route, which had they been successful with the FOS, undoubtedly would have led to uh, a case for claim for compensation. So it's- Well, it would have encouraged them, wouldn't it? It would have encouraged them. And it's um, a cost-effective way for them to test the water because making a complaint to the FOS is relatively inexpensive for them. Um, on the contrary now to the, the actual broker, the broker didn't have the benefit of, um, had well, had the, that exclusion within the policy, but they took the, the, the good decision to front load their costs um, I seek advice from ourselves to try to make sure that we um, robustly defended the, the allegations. Um, rather than seeking to deal with it themselves, they involved us, we were able to front load all the investigations, make all the correct arguments, um, lay the foundations and dismiss the claim. Um, so it's important that brokers um, understand that as well and, and all professionals understand that themselves even if they do have exclusions within, within their policy it's not the end of the it's not the end of the road there are avenues um, to to that they can take that will help them along the way so i think all of that has been um hopefully really helpful um for our listeners it only really scratches the surface of what's been going on this year i'm hoping that this has been of interest to our listeners as i said i think we've only scratched the surface really in terms of the developments that we've seen this year and our kind of forecast for what's in store for the year ahead um there are a couple of other cases that we talked about in the intro um, that we'd like to talk to you about in a little more detail uh, not least the rashid case and um, so that will be the subject of our next instalment um, towards the end of January. Thank you for listening. Thank you.